Well, hi everybody. It's Gene um, Nathan, um, and it is Crosstown Conversations. And as the music implies, it ain't my fault, <laughs> generally speaking. Um, but we have a packed and really interesting show for you tonight. Um, a little bit uh, more than I normally book in, so we're going to roll. Um, because we have a huge weekend coming up. We have the closing of Prospect 4. You have been hearing me talk about this on just about every show for the past couple months, and this is all about all that art around town that came in as part of the tricentennial that is done here in New Orleans that brings international artists to the city and celebrates our local artists as well. Um, and then we're going to talk about um, the film festival coming up this weekend because that's an exciting thing too. The French film festival and French films are by far my favorite. They're always so, I don't know, poised and, and, and deep and, and complicated. And I just, I don't know, I love them. Um, and I want you to know about them because they'll be at the Britannia and you can go see a bunch of them. And then we have a very special young woman in the uh, st um, studio with us who is a scientist. And she has an invention that is competing in a contest coming up that you can go see that could very well make a really important difference in how we deal with our coastal erosion. So this is like big, this is big time stuff. I want her to go get her um, intellectual property protection, her patents, and make a lot of money from it and, and save us from slipping out into the Gulf. So we're going to be uh, talking about that too. Let's get started, however, with a very interesting young man. Trevor Schoonmaker is the curator for Prospect, and he selected the theme and the artists this year. And there are 73 Three. artists on view around the city. Guys, this is your last chance between now and Sunday to see this work. And it is really interesting this year because it is totally reflective of our culture. The African, the Caribbean, the European, what am I missing, Native American. And um, so I, I just, I think it's a very special show. It's not just a bunch of art from anywhere. So Trevor, tell us a little bit about you know, what you were thinking when you put this show together, what you were hoping to accomplish with it, how you feel about it now, and the artists that were involved, and what's happening this weekend. Okay. So all that. All that. Well, uh, first of all, thank you for having me. And I, I want to give a shout-out to Eric Dot Griggs, who also has a show on WBOK. And uh, he's an old uh, childhood friend of mine since fourth grade. We went to school together growing wow. up in North Carolina. Okay. So shout-out to Dot Griggs. Um, Thanks so much for having me. This is the closing weekend of Prospect 4, and you're right that the, the theme of the exhibition, which is 17 venues across the city, and the artists themselves are really um, were thoughtfully brought together to reflect um, the time that we're in globally, but also have a synergy and a conversation with the city of New Orleans itself, culturally and historically, and engage with the people. So I think that the the art attempts to not speak for New Orleans or to New Orleans in, in any way, but it, it really um, seeks to have a symbiotic relationship. And I think these artists that are working in different parts of the world, it shows that these connections are inherent wherever you are across the world, that we're more connected than divided. Oh, that's such a great point. And, uh, of course, we need to take that to heart right now as we're dealing with so much uh, divisive um, energies pulling us apart in this country. It's so tragic and sad what's going on on so many levels. Um, you named it the Lotus in Spite of the Swamp. And I think initially people were kind of crabbing about that title. But um, I understood it immediately. Because you, you, what, what you're saying, I think, and tell me I'm wrong, is that no matter what the environmental or, and other difficult circumstances that we have to deal with, we can create beauty. That, that's it in a nutshell. And it's really, you know, it's really derived from um, Buddhist and Hindu philosophy and religion and that sort of spirit, sense of spiritual enlightenment. But that is it in a nutshell, to be able to find beauty and, and find a positive path forward no matter what the challenges and obstacles in front of us. 
But it also really uh, crystallized for me when I was reading a quote from Archie Sheff, the jazz saxophonist, because he described jazz as the lily in spite of the swamp. Is that right? Oh, and, I didn't realize that. And so that. that just that really drove it home since we're here at the epicenter of the creation of jazz. And uh, and, and really, um, we're such a – this is a difficult city. It's a difficult environment. We are challenged with flooding on the river. We're challenged with – um, the uh, things coming out of the lake, we're challenged with our coastal erosion, and yet we continue. We have big storms, and yet we continue. We have poverty. We have serious poverty, and we have a business community that is, let's just say, not the most progressive and aggressive in, in the universe. So, again, we have poverty. But despite all that, we have people, We have this is one of the most creative places on earth. It is just so creative, and, and I, I deal with young people in the schools, and when I have my, my young scientist on, I know she's going to endorse this statement. There, there are so many creative kids in the schools. And I grew up in the schools in New York, which is not – I mean, that's a fairly creative place too, but it's nothing like here. Yeah, th this is an unbelievably creative city. It's also such a visceral city. You know, like you can feel the creativity just walking through the city. And I've been coming here since 1994 – the first time I've been here scores and scores of times and I, bringing in artists for site visits um, who've never been here before, they're completely inspired by everything from the architecture to the food to the music, but more than anything, just the, um, the way that people live here in a openly in a way that life is celebrated. And it's also, I mean, I don't have to say it for this audience, but the artists themselves were really inspired by such a cultural crossroads. It's such an African city. It's such a European city. It's such an American city. And all those things together create a really unique environment that's a perfect um, it's a perfect place to have this kind of global exhibition that really speaks to New Orleans in, in a specific way. So uh, when people think of art, uh, to, to some extent, especially people who are not used to really being um, in the presence of it, and, and unfortunately our schools these days don't, provide us enough opportunity. They're also busy with the tests and, and the exams that they don't get kids out to the museums and they don't have art classes. So I want you to pick just, I don't know, three or four pieces that are out there at the Contemporary Arts Center, at the Ogden Museum, at NOMA, at the Mint, wherever, that you will describe for me, for my audience to hear that this is the kind of thing that they can go see. Sure. Well, l let's start with NOMA. Um, New Orleans Museum of Art in City Park. Thank you. And uh, when you first walk into the building, in the Great Hall, you don't have to s even barely step into the museum, are the portraits of the master painter, Barclay Hendricks, who's from North Philadelphia, unfortunately passed away last year in the process of organizing the exhibition wow. at the young age of 72, African-American artist from Philly. And his portraits are there from 1970 to 2016. And they're all portraits of people of color, all of African descent. But he has something, he is now, he wasn't really recognized until 10 years ago. And now he's recognized as one of the great American artists. And what makes him so wonderful are, is a million things, but they're portraits of everyday people. And he has elevated the everyday common person to iconic status, putting them on up and on a pedestal almost in a way, um, in a way that's historically been reserved for people in great political power, positions royalty. of power, royalty, yeah. yeah. And he's, these are just folks that were his friends, people he met on the street. He loved their style. He loved their attitude. He loved the way they dressed, um, the way they presented themselves with a certain flair. And you see that sort of flair and that presence and that way of positioning oneself and showing um, the pride in oneself, which you see everywhere in New Orleans. And so even though he's not an artist who was responding to the city, I think those works resonate deeply here, as they do just about anywhere. You can well, see yourselves in the portraits. And I can, I, I can say that I've, I've come into that room many times since it's been up, since that show has been up, and it, 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 uh, it, it really uh, it grabs you the minute you walk into what's called the Great Hall. And uh, the portraits surround the room, and they are very powerful and very dramatic. It, it, it really is an experience worth having and not, too many people don't get out to the New Orleans Museum of Art I guess because they think it's some kind of old time 
you know, collection of old works, and it has a lot of contemporary work, and this is one of the best shows. Yeah, well, and he's he's also someone who, um, his paintings there from 1970 to 2016, and the works from 1970 could have been painted yesterday. Yeah. And that while the style of the clothing of the people wearing them may look like 75 or whatever that date was, they also feel um, almost futuristic in the way that they resonate so strongly today. And that's one of the reasons that he's inspired so many young artists. So many artists today are deeply indebted to him. The way he's painted this, like, solid co- – his sense of color is is extraordinary. And these, these are life-size portraits, so they're not um, – they're not larger than life. They're not smaller than life. They're realistic, but they're not photorealistic. They don't look like photographs. You can tell it's his mastery in painting. But what he does better than anyone, or what he did, now that he's no longer with us, is he captures the the essence of the person, like the soul and the identity. You can feel like you know who these people are, their character, other than just being a representation of a person. Second? A second... Um, a second could be um, Rena Banerjee in the Contemporary Art Center. Um, she's an artist. Uh, she's a good example of someone I was thinking of who whose work feels at home here, but she'd never been here. And she's an, an Indian artist based in New York, but she works with India Mati- from India. From India, yes, yeah. from from South Asia, and works mm-hmm. in New York. And she uses materials in a way that seems familiar here because of Carnival, because of, Mort- because of Mardi Gras. And, um, and they're borrowed from all over the world. So she is really talking about migration and diaspora in her work. And literally her work is about the uh, Indian community that migrated from South Asia to the U.S. and started um, living in African-American neighborhoods and then commingling and creating mixed families with African-Americans. And she actually chronicles in the work. It's not visible, but her research led her through one particular person who it's named after who moved to New Orleans and, and married an African-American man. And so it, Who is that? Th- What's her name? I'm forgetting the name right oh, now, okay. but it's on the label if you go in the Contemporary okay, Arts Center. Yeah. But, it, but it's, this, it, it's this materials, all sorts of materials, Mixed media, all you know, everything from beads from India to um, fabric from East Asia to you know things from West Africa, and she's bringing all these worlds together just in the way that New Orleans itself actually sort of functions. Yeah, it's so interesting about the um, the beadwork of West Africa, the beadwork of Native Americans. Um, both of which kind of commingle in the beadwork of New Orleans, yeah. and then of course India as well. Third. A third, um, I guess I could point to uh, a million, but may, perhaps John Acumfra's video at the Ogden, um, simply because it's a it's a massive undertaking. He created a, a new film, which is loosely and um, based on the life and times of Buddy Bolden, who was there at sort of that moment, the founding of jazz in New Orleans. And it's this epic video of three channels. So you walk into a room and you see three projections. You feel like you're immersed in this video. So three things are happening at once. You're not watching one linear um, projection. But it's about half an hour long. And it really, although he takes Buddy Bolden as the central figure in in the story, it really is a story about New Orleans itself and how this is this – amazing Creole city. I didn't see that yet. I, I was at the Ogden and I saw some of the show, but I didn't see that. You've inspired me. I'm going to make sure Good. I get there right. before it closes, too. Okay, but now the finale of, of uh, Prospect, of course, is um, the the big uh, uh, presentation with Carol Walker. And um, Carol Walker is a name that is so well-known in the art world, but I actually mentioned that name to somebody, an artist, I think it was, in New Orleans recently, and they didn't know who it was. So I said, okay, so Carol Walker, why is she here this weekend? You're closing out with her. It is definitely a finale act. She's going to be on uh, the West Bank, Algiers. Tell us about that. Well, she's created uh, an incredible work that basically took this long to be fully realized and tested. And um, She really works at her stuff, doesn't she? She works extremely hard at it. And this was also going way outside of the realm of what she had done before or what Prospect had ever executed before. So it was new territory for everyone. And, you know, that 
presents some some challenges and so the process in getting here we're, we're executing it and and presenting it this friday through sunday and it what it is is when we travel to algiers together and we're showing when artists would visit we go around the city in different neighborhoods and not just thinking about where their work might be but to introduce them to the city itself and the people when we went to the west bank at algiers point uh, we were reading the uh, let's say um, um, very unimpressive plaque about the uh, the history of slavery in the area and it's very modest plaque on the ground and all of her work as an african-american artist is is really a based in the antebellum South, centered around slavery, centered around um, power dynamics that are very current. She's really speaking to current issues, but using, using this antiquated um, black and white um, uh, silhouette motif that she uses to tell her story. But what she created was a calliope. And it, so it, it's just like the calliope on the Natchez steamboat. So she is responding to that calliope. It has a sonic response. So instead of hearing Dixieland music, She's programmed it with the help of the famous jazz pianist Jason Moran in New York um, with songs of black liberation and resistance. And around it, she has created this um, sort of amazing um, carnival-esque um, covered wagon, but made out of cut raw steel. And in it, you see her her stereotypical, what she uses, this, you know, that kind of imagery and that cut silhouette imagery. But she sourced everything herself. Like she went, dove way down the rabbit hole to find a person in the Dakotas that makes um, wagon wheels based on, you know, old-timey uh, wagons. And, and so we're going to be performing this. She's going to unveil it Friday morning. It's going to play around, I think, 1130, and then at and, and then again at 2-something, and then at 4.30, Jason Moran is going to be there and perform it live on Friday. And then again on Saturday afternoon around 2, 2.30. Um, this is going to be a really interesting, especially for people who don't know it's coming. Yeah. Tannen and I once did a, um, a piece uh, tracing music of the Mississippi River Valley from its roots to New Orleans that we, we performed, um, we presented, on speakers across a bridge in um, in the south of France, I'm, I'm not going in the city that has all the tech stuff that goes on, and people would be walking across the bridge, not having any idea what they were listening to, and all of a sudden they'd be hearing this this strange music, including American um, Native American music from the north. So this is going to be very interesting for people who are going to suddenly be hearing calliope music, and it's not going to be what they expect at all. A absolutely. Um, I, I, I don't have a whole lot of time because I have so much uh, in, in this show. I'm, uh, Trevor, I'd love to spend more time with you. So, But I would like you to tell me, um, how do you feel about the outcome of this show? I feel great about it. Um, I feel like, um, you know, it's been a tremendous experience for me personally. But more so, I think every iteration of Prospect has to go deeper and deeper into the city of New Orleans and engage the people here and engage the culture and the history in order for it to be sustained. And um, the feedback I've gotten, one of the most amazing things for me was the opening weekend and feeling this sense of connectedness um, from the artists who flew in from all over the world. We didn't necessarily know one another, but they felt like their art connected and spoke to similar issues around cultural identity and social justice and environmental issues. And yeah. so um, like that, that sense of community, I think, is the, is the real takeaway for me, that they felt that. And that the show probably is 80% artists of color, which is really unheard of in, in this kind of biennial. That was one of the most biennial. remarkable things about it, yeah, um, and that you were able to pull that off. And that and that, that really helped bring these artists together as well. So no, I feel terrific about it. And the, the last thing I want to say really quickly is Thursday evening tomorrow, Satch Hoyt, one of the artists in the show, has a fantastic performance at Xavier at 6 o'clock, which is a hair combing cycle with all African-American women where he is Mike the Picks, and it's this beautiful ritual performance of sound. Wow, that sounds really interesting. I want you to hang in with me for a minute because I'm going to bring in uh, Jean 
uh, Vakroth, who is a an artist uh, based here in New Orleans, and uh, she uh, her her uh, show is uh, at one of the art uh, what we call the satellites. So in addition to seventy three artists from around the world, we also had um, uh, actually over eighty sites throughout the city that um, are satellites of the Prospect event. It has a fancy title that everybody keeps getting me to use, and it's just a Okay, next time. But um, Jean, Jean, like you know, I'm Jean also. J-E-A-N-N-E. I know, I know. It's a lot of confusion. So <laughs> Jean I'm, and Jean. I, I, I always say I answer to anything. If they call for Jean, if a doctor's office, I, I get up. If they do call for Jean, I get up. <laughs> so Jean, tell me about your work and 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 why um, you wanted to be a part of a prospect. So I am. I was born and raised in New Orleans, but I have kind of an interesting story after Katrina. My family relocated to Arkansas because our home was flooded. So I grew up in New Orleans for 15 years and then had this experience of dislocation in a place that just felt completely culturally remote to me. And then a few years ago, I came back. And so I saw the Prospect Satellites really as an opportunity for me to just dive in and really immerse myself in the art world of New Orleans where I'm from again. And your work, um, uh, I see you span a variety of media, patterns, flora, fauna, architecture. I mean, it seems like you're working through all of it, textiles. So um, narrow that down for me. Yes, I do a little bit of everything, but this particular show is what I'll focus on. So my satellite show is in the town of Lafitte, which is actually outside of New Orleans. Some locals might be familiar with it. It's the town that's just past Jean Lafitte National Park, which is a beautiful national park that anyone local or visiting should really make time to go see. It really is, especially coming up very soon, the iris season, when the swamps are completely covered in the native irises of, of Louisiana. Yes, and, and the by weather the way, has I just have to make this point because I, 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 it just always fascinates me that a guy came down here about a century ago and took samples of all of the species of irises and brought them back to the Bronx um, Botanical Gardens, and they are uh, in safekeeping up there. So if we ever That's lose amazing. all our irises... The seas are up there, too. I just had to get that in. Go ahead. That's wonderful, especially considering the issues that we have with losing our coastline and the cha- the constantly changing wetlands. And that's part of your story, isn't it? Yes, it is. It's part of my story and the other artist who I'm also exhibiting with. Her name is Katie Colvin Sampson. She is primarily a photographer, whereas I'm a mixed-media artist. And so we're showing our work. Our work is distinct but parallel. We're both focusing on narrative and the narrative really of this place, of Lafitte, outside of New Orleans, and the landscape that defines the South Louisiana coast. And we both have a connection to Lafitte. So Katie lived in Lafitte for a year specifically to focus on her work and have a dark room there and go out in the boat, really meet the locals, and delve into her documentary photography. And I am an art educator. And Lafitte. So we saw this as an opportunity to showcase this town and also the creativity that is thriving there. I think that there's a really strong tradition of craft and of hand making things from boat building to making nets. And there's just a huge, huge art world and talent in this community that's also showcased at the gallery. I want you to come to, um, have you been out to the Crevasse 22? No, I would love to go. Please come out. Uh, uh, I, I guess you can't come out this weekend. We're going to keep the existing. Uh, you haven't seen it yet either, and I want you to see it. I really do. It's a, it's a beautiful show because it does exactly what you're talking about because it includes some of the folk work of the area, yes. these fantastically detailed carved ducks, which was yes. just, I said, let me raise. Uh, uh, the NEA didn't give me a grant once because they told me I didn't have enough uh, artists from St. Bernard, I'm thinking artists from St. Bernard, artists from St. Bernard, duck carvers. Let me let me treat them with the respect that their art deserves. Mm. And so we have a whole wall of these spectacular ducks. We have some duck carvers too. They don't. We don't have any on display from, in Lafitte, but we have a lot. Your area, we do. right? Mm-hmm. So um, we have that, but also very contemporary work as well. And this is sculpture right, garden and, and the museum. So you can come out after Prospect Four because we're yes. going to keep it up. Good. I don't know how you're going to get out there before you're gone. Any chance? Monday? <laughs> no. I leave early Monday. Uh, so. Next time. Yeah. But, uh, I know. want you to, we're going to probably keep it up through the spring, so maybe you can come oh, back in. Oh, and, and I can. Yeah. Um, 
So this is uh, the stories we tell ourselves, and it is at 2608 Jean Lafitte Boulevard, Lafitte, Louisiana. Yes. Give me directions slightly. It's really, Lafitte is a pretty straightforward. You kind of just go until the road ends. So (laughs) you cross the bridge, go over to the West Bank, and you take Barataria Boulevard just all the way down. You'll cross over a large bridge. So you go a little past where you would go to go to the National Park and follow the road, and it's on the right-hand side right before the post office. So that's a good place marker. I I just want to emphasize again that, um, again, we have 73 artists from all over the world, so it's really important to get out there folks and see this. You can go online, prospectneworleans.com. Org. Dot org. Dot org. And um, get the whole agenda and all the different sites. And then um, if you go, um, you could go on Cano, C-A-N-O hyphen L-A dot org, the Creative Alliance of New Orleans, in other words, um, and see the uh, map of all the satellites. And these are the... Um, uh, uh, New Orleans-based facilities around the city that are showing artists uh, primarily from New Orleans. So we got artists from New Orleans and elsewhere. You know, I have this, I have this idea, and I don't know the number, but I, I strongly suspect that right now between the prospect artists from around the world, the satellite shows, and all the other shows in the city, and all the artists at each of those shows, that we probably have somewhere between 1,500 and 2,000 artists on view in the city of New Orleans. Right wow. Now. It's amazing. Because I started to try to, I, I didn't finalize getting the number, but I, I will. But I, I'm, I'm fairly certain that that's the, that's the case. I am going to now bring up um, Christopher Alfieri is a founding board member and the new chair of Prospect. And he's talking about what's going to happen next. I may not run his entire interview if uh, John Desplis from the French Film Festival calls in because I'll run out of time for getting my science fair in also. So I'm just talking to my engineer and giving him a little heads up here that that's what might happen. If that happens, I'll take up the rest of his interview at the next show. So here comes Christopher Alfieri. He's a terrific guy, and I know he's going to really keep uh, Prospect going. The next Prospect is three years from now, so we're talking 2020? 2020. 1820. Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, the prospect three, uh, four open in 17. Yeah. No, but it'll open in fall, uh, November of 20. Yeah. I hope it opens in October. It might I be October. A conversation I shouldn't say November. Fall of no, 20. He said November too, but I really think it should open in October because November is too close to the holidays. We got hit this year by the holidays. It's true. Yes. Really crummy weather, flu season, and then Mardi Gras. You yes, know. it was difficult. That's why I haven't gotten out to see as, men, as much of Prospect as I would like for all those October. reasons. So, and look, I just wanted to mention one more thing. We do okay. have a closing reception for our show in Lafitte this Saturday evening from 6 to 8 o'clock. So it'll go. be a awesome. great time to come out and actually meet some locals in addition to myself and the other artists. And Fantastic. thank you so much, Jean, for and having thank me. Thank you for participating and um, doing what you're doing. And I assume, are you going to keep the show up a little bit after Prospect or does it come down? I think we may keep it up for a week or so. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do a survey. I'm going to send out a form to all of the uh, satellites and find out which of those shows are going to continue to be up. I know the prospect comes down, but um, yeah, so you've got to get out to prospect this weekend, guys. This is it. Okay, Christopher Alfieri. Here he comes. Okay, Chris um, Alfieri is the um, chairman of Prospect New Orleans. Um, which is just finishing up its fourth um, annual, semi-annual event. It's a triennial now. started out as biennial, but I think triennial makes a lot of sense. And actually, there's a, there's a history of that here. Cause that's, that's true. What, exactly. Yeah. It's interesting. I was talking to Bill Fagley about that very thing since about the mid-19th century, right? Yeah. Uh, we've had that we've had that tradition in visual arts right. which um, which I think makes New Orleans even more perfect for something like what we're trying to do with prospect so let's talk about that because okay. I think a lot of people still uh, it takes New Orleans a while to embrace a new tradition and I don't think New Orleans uh, fully understands what a triennial is and what prospect is and you know, it's an interesting name, but it's a name that you have to explain. So let, let's tell people what Prospect New Orleans is all about. Okay. 
Well, Prospect is an exhibition of international contemporary art, which is located in historically significant and culturally significant venues all around the city of New Orleans. Uh, because it's a triennial, that means it only comes once every three years. We usually open in November and we usually close in uh, at the end of January, although in for Prospect 4, we will the show will go through the end of February. And that's in order to, um, to overlap a little bit with the city's tricentennial um, celebration. Oh, okay, I didn't realize that. Mm -hmm. And so we have closing weekend um, coming up uh, on the this this coming weekend, which I think you're going to be talking with um, others in Prospect about. Um, so I'll let them fill you in on that. But but that's really what it's about. We feel the board of trustees feels that in New Orleans we always talk about food, architecture, and music, and those seem to be the three legs of the stool, but there is this incredible history of visual art and artists in New Orleans, just as you correctly pointed out, going back to you know the early 1800s. I think Claude, I, I, I wanna be sure I'm saying this right, but I'm pretty sure Claude Monet showed some sculpture here and lost, took second prize, I think. Um, I wanna talk to Bill Fagley about that, who's a member of our board and a former curator at NOMA um, to make sure I'm right on that. but. The, the history is here, and I cannot think of a more perfect relationship between the culture that we have, the unique culture that we have of New Orleans, and contemporary art. So when we talked about the visual arts in New Orleans, I can't think of a, uh, a better relationship than new art in an old city like New Orleans. And that really... Um, the some of the venues that we select around the city to put you know international contemporary art in um, has been really impactful um, and so so that's what we're trying to do we're trying to introduce um, contemporary art and create audiences for contemporary art in New Orleans um, in addition to that we prospect is both a connector uh, between the local arts community and the uh, out and the international. larger international art community, mm -hmm. and I think we do that by introducing this incredibly deep bench of alumni artists to New Orleans. I mean, let's face it; we've now we're now in our fourth uh, iteration, and that means we've had close to three hundred international artists. Uh, as part, and, and yes, there are other institutions certainly who have partnered from time to time with other international artists and have had shows, but there's such a large number of artists who are devoted to New Orleans and, and loyal to Prospect who are, you know, still frequently come down and talk to us and we're in contact with. So, and not only the artists, yeah. but um, actually uh, people in the arts world, Absolutely. our supporters, our writers, we, through Prospect, have done more to connect um, our, uh, our art scene with the universe than anything else I know of in all the years I've been here. Agreed, yeah. yeah. And I think that's, that's one of the things that we do, we do so well. And it does, you're, you're correct about that, it does take time. New Orleanians, I feel like you've gotta do two things three or four times for them to become a tradition here. But when they do, they really, you, they really hold on tight. Well, I think one of the issues in New Orleans and, and anywhere is if, if you don't have exposure to art uh, in, in your younger years, and we know that arts education is just so cheated um, nationally, it's not just a New Orleans phenomena, that um, you're a little intimidated by, the, by art because sure. it's, I, I think my husband once said, good art is ambiguous. <laughs> it's not clear cut. And yeah. so people have a hard time really embracing art that is to them ambiguous until they get comfortable with it. Yes. I've seen such a difference in, in, in an in a art collector who starts out the first time walking into a gallery and is like intimidated 
to sure. where they into in, they get to meet and talk with the dealer they get to meet and talk with the artist and then gradually begin to have a comfort level and then it's like a whole new world absolutely and and you know that brings up an interesting point which is i think something that we can do better as prospect which is to make prospect more visible in the intervening years between exhibitions because we're a triennial it's almost like we're the you know, the greatest show on earth, the circus, right? The train comes in, the elephants pop out, and the tents go up, and then everything folds up and disappears for three years. And what we really want to do in this next um, phase, leading up to Prospect 5, which will open in 2020, is to do things that um, reinforce that connection to New Orleans and bring those artists back. And one of the things we're talking about doing and that we're in talks about right now is a lecture series which will be made up of past artistic directors, some of these internationally recognized contemporary artists who have been past artists of prospect, also ones that may be selected for the future, and local artists. And we're talking with various institutions that, that will host these, these panel discussions. And I want them to really be a celebration of what the artists are doing here and the kind of inspiration that they're taking from this city and how they're partnering with the, with local. And, and I would strongly recommend that you really look at how to do at least some of those at a, at a, at a, at a real um, grassroots community level. I go back to just after the storm when Paul Chan came to town. Oh yeah. Through funding from uh, Creative Time in New York, which I, I applaud for having supported us with this, and putting mm -hmm. the money uh, out there to make it available for him to do the performance of Waiting for Godot. You can't get more esoteric production. <laughs> he did it on the streets, right? The deserted, destroyed streets of the Ninth Ward, and um, prior to the event. He had little yard signs up all over the city, just like the painters and construction people who were advertising their wares saying, I forget what the expression was, it was the first line of, of waiting for Godot, and forgive me for getting it, I had that sign somewhere. That's right, a tr <laughs> a, a something, a tr a tr oh gosh, I forget. Something about waiting, of course. Yeah. But, um, and and I, I worked on the PR for it too, and we went after sort of the um, students and faculty, and, and we targeted some folks that we knew would come. There were lines. Oh, yeah. Down the street in the Ninth Ward for that performance. So, yeah. Bring, and he, prior to the show itself, he had many little community meetings, little potlucks in the middle of nowhere. I remember one on Bayou Road. Yeah. That level of engaging folks, I think, is really critical. I agree with you. And I think that it's one thing to bring an exhibition into town. It's another thing to create that pathway and bring that horse to that water. And that's the thing that I think we can do better. We do. We do bring this incredible show in once every three years. Um, and we do programming in the bridge years, what we call the bridge years between. But we can do more of it, and we can do more of it uh, that is more closely connected to the community. Uh, and, you know, like all institutions, of course, uh, you know, money is always an issue, yeah. operations and, and the money to do these things. But um, I think that by bringing programming and these artists to community uh, organizations and institutions, there's a real collaboration there that, that could really be great for, for New Orleanians, and that gives them again, sort of this bridge between you're going to see this exhibition coming up. And in the meantime, these are the artists that are producing it. This is why they're introduced. This is why they're interested in our community. And I think, again, um, you're bringing attention to it on the international level and, and uh, regional and, and national and so on. Um, but uh, the, the interesting thing is that I don't, I don't think people in New Orleans have any notion of how extensive the art scene is here and and the visual art scene in particular i think they're less aware of and um, when we started looking at promoting the satellites which are the locally based um, uh, venues uh, in association with before um, i don't have the number because nobody has it but i basically was beginning to suspect that we had something over 1500 and maybe as close as 2000 visual artists on display in the city of New Orleans, including the 
uh, P4 official artists, the satellite right. artists, and then all of the other venues that were on view in the city. And so helping people to understand the, the depth and the breadth yeah. of the art scene here, I think, is so I critically important. I agree. That's and partly and what you're doing. Yes, and I agree. And I thank you for bringing up the satellite program because that's part of what we do. And that sort of relates to what I was saying earlier about Prospect being a connector. So uh, during the course of the exhibition, this last one we had 73 artists, we invite local you know, galleries, art spaces, collectives, you name it, um, to be satellite venues. All you really need is a sh uh, an ongoing show, um, a, a physical location with hours that we can publish. Um, and, and, and that, you know, hopefully they get the bounce um, from what we're doing um, as an exhibition. Uh, so when people are in town for the opening weekend, I think this last opening weekend we had something like between three and 4,000 people that came in for the opening of Prospect. They're all, they're seeing the exhibition, but they're also taking an opportunity to move into other parts of the city they may not be familiar with to some of these satellite venues. So um, it would be great, of course, to generate more interest by locals. And that's, that's an ongoing thing. Uh, but, you know, I think that just uh, takes time. And we're takes time and, and, and maybe um, with greater uh, support from the city going forward, which I, I really think we're on the verge of that because I think that the city council and the mayor have made commitments to a more robust um, commitment to the arts and, and hopefully that will come to pass and that'll make a big difference. I agree. That'll just get, help us get the word out. Yeah. What do you want to... We're gonna, we're gonna pick up with, um, with uh, Chris uh, in our next show. Uh, but I have so much packed into this one that I'm gonna I'm gonna roll on uh, because we have to talk a little bit about the film festival that's coming up this weekend with John Desplus, who is the um, patron saint of film <laughs> in New Orleans, right? <laughs> well, if you say so. <laughs> oh, John, come on, don't be humble about you can't be humble about getting something going and keeping it alive all these years. How many years is it now? I think there are people who might say we just can't get rid of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. I'm glad. But um, how many years has it been since you started the film uh, festival and the film society? Well, I was one of the founding fathers of the film society. That goes back, I guess, almost 30 years now. Uh, I think it was 1980 with uh, Don Marshall and um, kind of a, little, a bunch of people. It was all like that Citizen Kane movie, you know, wouldn't it be fun to, uh, have, to have a film festival? And nobody knew what they were doing at the time. No one had any, any idea what they were getting into. But um, it worked, and it's been working, and it continues, and the crowds come out. And, and um, I would have to say that the film society and the film festival has been an important part of um, putting New Orleans on the map, and of course now we claim the title um, Hollywood South, um, justifiably because there is so much going on in the film um, industry here in New Orleans now. But we have the French Film Festival coming up at the Britannia, and it starts Friday night? Friday night, uh, 7.30 is the first feature. So, uh, I, you know, help me and help the audience. Give me some of the top um, films that are just don't miss. Don't miss this film. Well, I, I think, first of all, we're doing this little Agnes Varda retrospective. Oh, it's only three films. But the, first, the, the main one is a new film. It's up for an Oscar for the best uh, documentary. And it's called Faces Places. It's an absolutely wonderful movie. Uh, it's a documentary... Agnes Varda is like 89 years old now. She oh was the gosh. only female that was involved with the new wave, uh, along with Truffaut, Godard, Renee, all those people. But she oh, was the only guys. female. Mm -hmm. And this is a documentary where she hooks up with this uh, photographer who's quite well known in Europe. He goes by the initials J.R. And they get in a van, and they go around France, and they go to all these little villages and they take photographs of these various people, and 
blow them up to huge sizes and have them pasted on the sides of buildings and the like. Now, that's, that's just, the, you know, sort of a general idea of what the film's about, but it, it, it's, it's just a delightful movie. And uh, I, w- I would put that at the top of the list. I'm not going to miss that. That sounds fantastic. Okay, that's one, two. Yeah, and then uh, we have a film that, you know, it's by a French director. There is, it, most of the film is not in French, but it's a, a French director. It's a great little film. Uh, it, it takes place in Kinshasa. Uh, it's called Felicite. It's about a, a, a young single mom uh, whose son needs an operation, and she doesn't have the funds. And she has to go around begging people and to you know uh, trying to suck up to people to try to get the money, and you know, and, and still try to maintain her dignity and her pride. And it's it's just a terrific little movie. And it was there's all of this wonderful music in it and nightlife of Kinshasa. And what what's the title of the film? It's called Felicite, which is the name of the, the, the woman. Okay. That sounds fantastic. And three? And uh, let me say, there's a film that was shot here. We, we have a program of French shorts. And one of the shorts is uh, called Le Grand Remix. And uh, it was financed by a grant here through Create, the, Create Louisiana. And it deals with a young African girl who is here teaching at an immersion school, teaching French language in an immersion school. And she has to go back home. She wants to go back home for the wedding of her best friend. And she's afraid that if she leaves, she won't be able to get back into the country. And how she's dealing with it right now is through music and dance and the like to try and, and, and just get through this. And the music is all done by this Vietnamese, uh, Vietnamese African teenager who's also part of the school where she teaches here in New Orleans. It's the uh, uh, Ecole, uh, uh, it's the um, bilingual school for, uh, in, here in New Orleans. And it's a really great little, it's about a 17-minute short. It's, pro, it's part of a whole program of short in French. How, how many films altogether are there? If, if somebody wanted to see almost all of it, I guess you just have to go, you know, not yeah, get out of your seat that, at the that's Britannia. that's a challenge. There's about 20, wow, 20 yeah. or so. Uh, yeah. It runs a whole week, you know, and some films get repeated. And... Uh, you can find the whole schedule on the website, neworleansfilmsociety.org.org, and all the information about, uh, you know, there's the schedule, there's the little description of each film, and there's all of the information about pricing for tickets and, and how, and you can get tickets either online through the Film Society, or uh, you'll be able to buy them at the theater at the time of the uh, film sounds like a deal um i uh, strongly encourage everybody to come out for this um i've always been a huge fan of french films because um they take filmmaking very seriously and they're they're not just pumping out you know um stuff to uh build their um audience and make a lot of money they are really uh, dealing with subject matter that um, has consequence and so, um, yeah, John, thank you for uh, for doing this. I, I love this whole idea of the, of the French Film Festival. Well, and come out and see some movies. I, I, I definitely plan to. I mean, uh, I can't not because, I mean, Julie does work with me, you know, so <laughs> I don't <laughs> well, have definitely any ch- Try to see Faces Places. I think you'll really like that. I am definitely going to uh, head to that. It's on the weekend. <laughs> Thank you so much. And, um, right, and listen, give me a shout me. out uh, for next uh, Wednesday. We'll um, uh, do a little recap on what's coming up for the end of the festival as well.
I'm sorry. I said, give me a shout out next Wednesday night. Oh, okay. And, and just, uh, you know, uh, call my attention to the last films that will be shown um, for the end of next week. I will definitely do that. Thank you. All right. All right. John Desplis, as I said, patron saint of, of the <laughs> film world in uh, New Orleans. Um, now we turn to science. Uh, you know, all life is not just art. It is also science, and I have with me both the, uh, I guess, are you the producer? Director, you fair director. Director of um, the uh, contest that's coming up, um, and I'm looking, trying to grab my notes so I can, but go ahead and uh, just announce the. Uh, okay. Um, yeah. So this is the Greater New Orleans Science and Engineering Fair. It's a regional fair open to middle and high school students from Orleans, Jefferson, Plaquemine, and St. Bernard parishes. And these students are nominated by their schools and are typically the winners of their own school fairs, though a student, a school doesn't have to have a fair to participate. And we even have homeschool students who are participating. And it's exciting because the projects not only focus on the traditional areas of animal sciences and plant sciences and chemistry and that sort of thing, but it also focuses on new categories like robotics and embedded systems and environmental engineering and translational medicine. So there's a lot of exciting stuff going on. And these students are eligible for over $65,000 in prizes, cash awards, trips to the International Science Fair, um, trips to a metallurgy camp. It, it's very, very exciting. Schools even have the opportunity to get prizes. So um, uh, uh, this is Annette Ertling that's been speaking, Ph.D., co-director of the Greater New Orleans Science and Engineering Fair. And what's amazing about these fairs is that actually – some very intriguing, original, creative, important ideas pop up. And we have with us also one of the students who's competing. Her name is Mai Burrell, and she's in the eighth grade at Lake Forest Elementary School, and she won first pri uh, place in her school science fair, um, uh, working with her teacher, April Wallace Hartman. I thought it was sweet that we made sure to call <laughs> attention to her. But... You're not going to believe what this young lady is working with. She is, is she's in the eighth grade. What? How old are you again? I'm 14 years old. 14 years old, and uh, okay. And guess what she's dealing with? She is dealing with our coastal erosion issue. My, tell us about your invention. Hi. So, my invention basically. So in my invention, I basically wanted to create something that can save our wetlands. I am well aware of the land that we are constantly losing to many different things that is eroding and wearing away at it. And I wanted to make something that can help us because I want to make sure that we have a future, that Louisiana has a future. So, so tell me how exactly how, how your um, invention works. Okay, so my invention is a slurry sediment machine. Um, I added on to slurry sediment machines that actually work today. And um, in these slurry sediment machines that we have today, they only have one hole in which sediment comes out of. And... People go out and they have bulldozers that lay out the land flat and spread it out and then they come and put vegetation so that way it will not sink back into the water. But my invention gives this pipe head characteristics that makes it where the sediment can spread out in different ways and in wider and farther ranges. So that way I am cutting down on the amount of money that is used for this process, and I am also making it more efficient. And, and it, this couldn't be more important because the fact of the matter is, guys, the costs associated with um, trying to uh, um, slow and, and, and stop, hopefully someday, coastal erosion are phenomenally expensive. We're talking 
billions of dollars. Yes. <laughs> Probably before it's all over, we're talking trillions because nobody has a real number on what it's really going to cost. And and our it's it's a very what they call an existential threat, which means our very existence in the city of New Orleans is threatened by the loss of land. Pretty soon, the Gulf could be right up on the coast of of, of the river. Yes, for goodness' it could sake. Be. So so. I'm just fascinated how you got onto this, though. Okay, so some people from, some ladies from UNO, they came to my school and they started talking about Louisiana wetlands and how we are constantly losing them to things like non-native plants and animals that eat away at the land and basically just erode it. We also have our man-made levees. They're stopping the natural deposit of sediment and they're protecting us at the same time, so really can't win with that. And um, storm Rising surges, oceans. yes, storm, storm surges, surges. Yep. Um, and hurricanes, and all these different storms—they're just eating away, eating away at this land. So I wanted to create something and design something that can help us for our future. And if I can help and also save money, because we need to make sure that these things aren't like just eating away at the land, but we also want to make sure that we're building it back up. We have to do things that could possibly stop these problems, but we're not really helping the problems. We need to <laughs> really just just <laughs> stay with it and make sure that we sustain yes. our environment. So. I still am, am fascinated by how – so so how did you actually get from the idea of that to your invention? I actually just – I'm sorry to be so obsessed <laughs> about this, but I'm just trying to figure out how does a young woman – and I, I hope I didn't sound unfeminist there, but how <laughs> does a young woman delve down into this this idea of, of – of, um, in, you know, this this issue and then figure out how to deal with it. How did you get to how to do what your machine is going to do? I um, drew a design. I sketched it out. And I had no idea that it would actually work. My sketch was just something that came in mind because I had no idea what a slurry machine was. And when I heard about it, I was fascinated about what it can do, especially for us. And um, we are losing land at a rapid rate. And in a couple of years, if things keep on happening how they are, we could possibly lose Louisiana. So it's a really important cause, and it really made you passionate about finding yes. a solution. So, um, Annette, you must be so proud of I am. Not, not just my, but the other students who have put their minds to these really serious issues and come up with with um, ways of, of, of addressing them. And let me just ask you this question. Uh, we don't have a lot of time, but I just want to get this in. What inventions that kids came up with in past fairs have gone on to be realized? Well, we have an example of a student who was concerned about flooding in her school parking lot. And so she started exploring an environmental engineering solution of rain gardens. And she actually rallied the community, and they built a rain garden, and their school parking lot no longer floods. There you go. But we do have students that go on to international, and there is a table there with the patent office personnel there because that's what they're there for, to talk to these people. And one thing that Mai said really struck me, and it really gets at the heart of the matter. She said she didn't know if it would work. The beauty of these young people is that they think anything is possible, and so they come up with these amazing ideas that many times adults are hesitant to explore because they think, well, that's not going to work. But our young people are doing this. So uh, it's, it reminds me of something that I remember reading from somewhere, and that is that inventing and creating and, and solving is all about risk-taking. So what you, what you did when you thought about the problem yes. and you delved into how to solve it is you were taking one big, fat risk. I was. <laughs> I had no idea what I was getting to at what I was getting into at all, 
and me just sketching something and then it comes to life, that's like magic for me. <laughs> that's the cap of the story. Annette, thank you so much for what you do with these young students. Details on the, uh, quickly before we go. Yes, the fair so is the fair is being held at Tulane University, and it's open to the public uh, Tuesday at lunchtime, Wednesday after school, and Thursday morning. And I have to say that all of this is made possible by our wonderful sponsors, and we have some major donors, Britton Sandiford, the Patrick Taylor Foundation, Entergy, and a new sponsor, Patty Muleman, who has put up two $1,000 scholarships for high school winners. So everybody, there are a lot of people out there that recognize the importance of incentivizing and encouraging and inspiring people like Mai to take care of us to solve the world's <laughs> problems for us. And thank you, Annette. Thank you, all the sponsors. And thank you, Mai, for you what for you're doing. Me. I'm just blown away by it, really. I'm very appreciative. Let's do this thank again you. next year. Let's bring in a couple students again. I just, it just... <laughs> it's just beautiful. It's just beautiful. Well, and if someone wants more information, they can just go to GNOSEF.org. It's just One more the, time. the acronym for Greater New Orleans Science and Engineering Fair, GNOSEF.org. Thank you. All right, y'all, it's Jean Thank Nathan. You. i got to get out of here because there's a whole bunch of exciting people coming into the studio after me because now there's another show after mine. I'm so excited about it. All right. Gene Nathan, Crosstown Conversations. See you next week.